support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Kyle Photography Podcast. with how it is that you found photography in the first place is it something that's sort of in the family or is it something you picked up at school how did you first come by a camera um i went to uh, a summer program in italy when i was 17 years old i graduated high school a little early so i had some time and uh i thought that i would uh, study painting uh art was kind of the only thing i was good at in high school but i actually wasn't that good of a painter um, I took a <laughs> photography class in that school and I had one of those like aha moments where I had, I came out of the first darkroom session I ever did and, uh, showed the teacher a print the instructor. And he asked me if I'd ever taken a photography class before. And I said, well, no. And he goes, well, if you, if you haven't, and this is your first print, you should really consider photography. And I was blown away. Um, it was just, it's good to have somebody kind of push you in a direction when you're that young. And uh, yeah, I never looked back. I just started photographing everything. I bought a Yashica 124G. That was 1983. And uh, I just started burning through 120 film. Loved it. I mean, you, you said that you went over there with the intention of potentially becoming a painter is art something that's in the family no not at all came from a family of uh kind of middle class family doctors businessmen um i was a uh, kind of a shock when i went in that direction i was not supported by my family um not you know wasn't a big deal they were just kind of surprised and thought maybe i would get over it <laughs> and move on to something else or oh, like it was it was just a phase kind of thing yeah, like I would find my way sooner or later. Uh, and art was just, uh, you know, not a way you could earn a living in the world. I mean, before I really sort of dig into anything with you here, one thing I'm kind of always fascinated by with, with different people, I feel like the answer is always going to be different. But what is it that worked for you with photography? What was it? What did photography do for you? What did it awaken in you that made you want to keep doing it? Oh, that's a good question. And it's something I've I've actually been thinking a lot about because... Um, I'm kind of having a resurgence in what I started doing originally and having a camera, especially like a, a like the Ashika, um, a twin lens reflex. Uh, it, it kind of gave me this permission to be an obvious foyer, you know, just kind of walk around and, uh, and see, um, it slowed me down. I just started really for the first time, looking at things and seeing things that I just never really, um, spent that much time considering, you know, just small details. Um, and, uh, the fascination with what I saw and how it came out later, uh, hooked me, you know, like what I thought I saw, what I recorded and what I came out of the darkroom with, um, all three different very things sometimes. And sometimes they coincided and, uh, yeah, it was just good. That, and that, that was my hook. 
And you, I mean, you're talking about the darkroom there. Is is digital something that doesn't interest you? Is it something that's just a process? Is it the process of digital that's something that doesn't interest you? Or is it just the fact that being in the darkroom, doing that developing and the sort of delayed gratification is what makes photography for you? The da, 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 da. I'm sort of a failed digital photographer in a lot of ways for my personal <laughs> work. <laughs> it never, it never, I just spent so much time in, in uh, Lightroom and Photoshop trying to make something work or force it into existence. Um, and I, I don't know what it is. Like maybe there's just too many options or the road is just too open to go any which way. Um, or just the, the speed, you know, how quickly you can create um, an image digitally. Uh, the results were just always bad. You know, they're good for work. I use it for work all the time. Um, but for my personal work, it just never, never worked well. I could get it close. And when I was getting it close, it was always because it was very much like film. I mean, what is it about... The, the actual medium of film, because it seems like people are kind of split down the middle. If they do shoot film, they're either enthralled with the process or they prefer the actual end product. I don't see a tremendous amount of people that see both of those things as kind of being an equally good reason for, for being into film. So is it the process or is it the end product for you? Oh gosh. Um, if I had to, I, I couldn't pick either one cause it, it really is a little bit of both. Um, i very recently, I went through this experience when I started Concrete Spaces, which is only a few months old, really. Um, and I started on with digital. Um, I started trying all these different profiles and plugins and, and uh, devices to kind of make my digital look like film. So aesthetically, uh, every time I made a digital picture successful to me, it was because it looked like film. So definitely the color, the tonality. Um, it's because I started in photography in the eighties. I mean, that's what, that's the way pictures are supposed to look to me, I guess. Right. It's just very, very satisfying. But the other part and the reason why I kind of consider myself a failed digital photographer was the time, you know, I just, I was shooting way too much. Um, I couldn't, I had way more to edit. I couldn't pick. Um, I'd have to ask people which picture they liked out of 10,000 and they would, have this perplexed look at me like, wow, you're a nut. Um, and I started, you know, getting around on YouTube and and some other places and Instagram. And a lot of the things I liked were film. Uh, I've got a, a war chest full of film cameras from the eighties. And, uh, I, you know, I just decided what the heck, you know, if I'm spending all this time trying to make it look like film and I'm going too fast, I'll try it. And uh, the weird thing is, is I never shot, except for uh, a couple of roles, C41 before. And and that was a real awakening. How so? The process with C41 uh, scanning, uh, it's a lot like the darkroom for me. Um, the Having such a rich negative, it's already kind of pushing you in one direction. You've already chosen the film stock. Um, it really hates it when you try to move it too far away from what it already is. Uh, it, it, it's, for me, it's just a very natural experience editing and uh, printing um, the film. So yeah, it, it slowed me down. The results were better. The tonality is better. It just all worked. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing that 
I keep hearing from film photographers is about the the um, joy that being slowed down seems to bring to the process when at the moment digital is just absolutely gunning. Every new camera that comes out is about making things faster and more convenient and more simplified and more streamlined. And actually, it feels like more and more photographers are actually straying back towards film maybe for that reason that they actually want something that's a little bit more tangible and a little bit more hands-on and something that actually you have to think about what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, I, and it's kind of an overused analogy, but you know, I, I kind of think of it like cooking. Um, you've got like the, your 15 minute meal that you can come home and make. Um, and then you've got this meal that you work on for, you know, a, a day or two. Um, and those meals that take more time to prepare, um, are almost always more rewarding. And I think it's just because you're spending more time with the food itself, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 100%. I actually was um, on a podcast recently and I mentioned that the the one of the problems I have with technology at the moment is that we see every new uh, version of something as as making the old version redundant. When in actual fact, uh, I, I think an interesting analogy is the acoustic guitar compared to the electric guitar. I feel like film photography is the acoustic guitar and there's still absolutely a purpose for it. It's not something that can be dismissed. It's not something that can be superseded. It's just a different version, a different um, method to something. It's, it's alternative. It's not been outdated. And I, I genuinely think that's why we see the resurgence. One thing I'm actually interested to ask you, especially based on where you're located, what is it about film photography that so feels so natural when it comes to sort of Western United States? Uh, so we moved to Seattle about 10 years ago, and I brought my film camera out for the first time on one of my trips out to Utah, where I go mountain biking a lot this year. And again, it just kind of felt like it's in, it was in its natural environment. Um, I kind of reject the nostalgia part of film a little bit, although I do have a penchant for photographing old trucks, which is like, <laughs> I know it's, it's the thing to do, uh, but I can't help myself in that regard. Um, so I, I try to avoid nostalgia and film as nostalgia as a look. Uh, but there's, a, there is this uh, long history of, you know, photographers uh, going through the old West and they kind of set the standard in the seventies. For the way we view that photography, and I think most of the good stuff that I see is done on film, especially if you do the you know you think of the Route sixty six stuff and and all of that. When it comes when it comes to where you are located though in Seattle, I don't I've never been to Seattle. It's definitely on my on my list of places to go. We do plan on hitting every single one of the fifty states. When it comes to Seattle, are there any sort of challenges in particular with photographing there? Because I know it's, I think it's quite a humid place if I'm, if I'm right. It's moist. <laughs> you probably <laughs> like it. It'd be familiar to you. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's good if you like muted colors and, you know, uh, grayed out skies. Um, it's semi-tropical. You know, we have kind of a wet side and a dry side. Um, so Seattle's on the wet side of the Cascade Mountains. Uh, so it, it does trap a lot of moisture and there's a lot of refraction, uh, in the light, uh, which I really, um, enjoy that, that kind of morning, uh, moist light. Um, it is dense though. That's the thing that a lot of people don't understand about Seattle. It's so densely green. 
Um, and if you, if you don't like the color green, you're going to struggle for <laughs> locations. And part of my mission this year has been to just deal with all the fucking green. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's a mess. And yeah, what do I like about the West? When you cross over the mountains into the dry side, the green is gone. Thank you. It's just beautiful pastel, you know, oranges and uh, browns and just gorgeous colors. Every time I get to the dry side of the mountains, I, I just, I can breathe. I can see further. It's a relief. So the, the Seattle part's challenging. Um, it can be a little uh, oppressive um, for most of the year. Um, and from my point of view, it really suits the industrial kind of locations that I like in Soto, which is south of downtown in Seattle, uh, which has its own kind of color palette, which is very enjoyable. And it doesn't have very many trees. So you can actually photograph just a tree and a building <laughs> in Soto, as opposed to a forest with a building in the middle of it. <laughs> I mean, you've mentioned old trucks as being a, a particularly favorite subject. And, and now I obviously understand that the color green might not be the best one to, to approach you with. But what are the subjects that really excite you when you do go out to shoot? Oh, well, the old trucks, it's, it's kind of a... A funny thing is just, I've, I've been trying to sketch this one out in my mind. It's just, you know, it's, so it's clearly, it's a cliche. Um, and I tried not to avoid the cliches. Uh, in fact, I go straight towards them. And often when I'm photographing or going to photograph something like an old truck or just like a gas station or one of those cliches, um, I find really good stuff along the path. So I, I, I steer towards that stuff because there's a lot of discovery. Um, I don't go searching for particular things. I do a lot of kind of aimless driving with music <laughs> and right. my dogs in the car, um, and the Hasselblads and, um, I'll see something. And a, a new thing I've been doing is I just drive a lot with my iPhone and I'll just photograph it because it's tagged and I'll kind of note the time of the day. And then I, I, and I go back and I revisit these things that I see. So for Soto, there's a particular corner that's got a lot of palette. In fact, I, I just posted a picture from there. That industrial location, I go to once a week and take a photograph there. Um, so repetition has become a big part of my process, I guess. Uh, architecture is always part of it. Um, people less so. I don't think I have any people in concrete spaces. I, I, I like those kind of poetic intersections, um, man-made landscapes, the kind of altered landscapes more than anything. Um, I've got to see some evidence that man has been there and done something to the landscape and modified it. Um, you know, a, a nature shot with a waterfall, uh, I won't take it. Um, it's sort of, plus it's all green. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, something I've noticed quite a bit is when I go out and I'm just, I don't know if this translates, but when I'm just pissing about with my camera and I'm just shooting a roll of film just for the sake of maybe going out and just shooting a roll of film to unwind, I'm I'm quite fascinated by where nature meets straight lines because it feels like it's, it's a bit of a story in the sense of um, it's almost like nature interrupted by by people coming and usually fucking it up. Is it, is it the case that you're looking for some kind of narrative when you're out looking for stuff or are you just interested in like color and light? No, definitely a narrative. Um, I, I kind of, uh, 
prefer the the edges of town just for that reason because that's where the intersection uh between nature and man uh happens the most and the heaviest um i that's why i'm attracted to the industrial edges of small towns in particular um and they're very vibrant places too they're, they're not forgotten or uh, abandoned um there's always this kind of entrepreneurial activity happening new businesses old businesses these businesses that are kind of like feeding the heart of the city, which is why I like the concrete plants, uh, cement plants. They just, it, I'm fascinated by them. Uh, they're these megaliths that just, um, you know, feed the construction of the city and the town and the highways and everything that you're traveling on. Um, and so that those edges of towns, those intersections, and in particular the concrete plants or the cement plants where they're taking nature and then just pulverizing it and mixing it um, and heating it up and, and then creating something that they can make cities with. Uh, often you can see the city, the concrete plant and a wonderful landscape in the background all in one shot. Um, and I, I really strive for that particular thing where you can see man consuming the landscape and then making cities out of it. That's kind of an ideal situation for me. I mean, it sounds like your process is very much image by image um, in terms of the way that you work, but the presentation of your work is very collective. Are you someone that puts a lot of importance on like personal projects or having some kind of overlapping theme, or are you just shooting by what excites you? Uh, oh, no, just strong themes. Um, I, uh, in terms of like a singular subject, not so much. Uh, but the way I'm trying to uh, look at things and present things very much so. It, it was interesting with the pandemic and I, I, I started going through old negatives that I started with and, and really deciding what was working for me back uh, when I started um, and comparing it to what I was doing now. And it, it always comes down to um, this almost like a visual haiku, you know, just these three things that make a whole thought in a picture. And if I can get those three things, um, in one picture, uh, that, that is pretty much my theme. You know, I get the intersection of nature to man, the altering of the landscape and, and some humanity in it without showing, uh, people. Um, thing I've been working on to get into those images is, is a, a contemporary kind of timestamp. Um, uh, I, I want going forward images to kind of really tell people what day I took them on or what decade at least, um, and not have them be so, uh, obtuse that, you know, or, or timeless. Um, I, I want to, I want a timestamp on them. Yeah. That seems to be a, a bit of a funny thing with film photography. I've mentioned this a few times, but it feels like a lot of people are trying to take pictures. I mean, you mentioned earlier about that kind of iconic period in the, I guess, 60s, 70s and 80s um, in, in the Western America with film photography. But it feels like a lot of people now are documenting 2020 like it's 1974. Yeah. And I think we're going to have like a huge misstep in terms of it's going to look like nobody was taking pictures of 2020 um, in a lot of cases because all of the pictures of 2020 look like they were taken in a different decade. Is there a bit of an over-reliance on nostalgia, do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll probably ruffle some feathers, but in the film community, for sure. I mean, I, I think that's... And I, I weirdly enough, I'm kind of new to the film community, but... Um, 
the way people were using film and, and the nostalgia for old cameras. Um, I, I get wanting a connection to that past, you know, trying to build a tangible connection and, and, and appreciation for, uh, in a roundabout way, the history of photography, the way it's being approached. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't want to diminish the, you know, the nostalgia, um, because it's a driving force for so many people and so many people do a really good job with it. I mean, terrific photography. But when, when I go back and I look at, uh, Stephen Shore's work, for example, um, now it looks kind of nostalgic, but when he took those photographs in uncommon places, uh, everything was contemporary. And I yeah. really ponder that, you know, it's like, wow, you know, it's running around trying to make a 1970s Stephen Shore picture, um, is counterproductive. Um, you can do it, you know, you can, you can find it. Um, but I think going forward, I, I'm really trying to emphasize putting more contemporary things that show what's happening now in my pictures. I, I really don't know how to do it yet because I am kind of stuck in that nostalgic loop. It's the easiest in a way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like the low hanging fruit of the, um, the film world it's kind of similar to in the portrait world the people that i mean instagram's becoming a bit gross with it i'm i'm hoping that it's not something you've had to experience but the kind of sexualization is just the easiest low-hanging fruit for the portrait world or for, for images of people because people are going to like it regardless of how shit the images are because they like the idea of sexualized human beings and and it kind of it's very easy to make yourself look like you know what you're doing because people are usually too busy um, not paying attention to the photographic side, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I listened to a few of your podcasts, um, by the way, incredible work. Um, and oh, thank you've, you. you've interviewed some of my, my, my new heroes, you know, it was really great to hear. Um, but did I hear you say that you worked for Peter Lindbergh at one point? No, 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 no. Christ, I wish. No, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm a huge fan. No, I had a, I had a very emotional phone call, um, podcast with a tremendous photographer in Australia called Peter Coulson. And he was, um, or he is enamored with, um, Peter Lindbergh's work. And, and I am as well. It's just, we had a very, a very long talk about it because it's, it's, to me, it seems like it should have been more culturally significant. His passing should have been a bigger deal than it was. And I feel like photography tends to go under the cultural radar quite a bit with things like that, where people, uh, care more about the subject than they do the artist that's creating it. But obviously we don't see that same problem with things like paintings or music or things like that. So, you know, it's kind of, it was just kind of strange to me and, and I'm just a huge fan. Okay. Yeah. I, because I think that Peter Lindbergh is the perfect example of like, um, of taking provocative, uh, you know, images or make creating provocative images, but not over sexualizing them. I mean, everybody's mm -hmm. just, intense you know it's theatrical the lighting is just amazing and if you've seen like his sets they're terrific i mean just yeah. a huge black curtains and silks and everything going um but in terms of the images and and how they look in the context of instagram uh untouchable um and and never once did he just kind of like overly sexualize somebody for them just to push that button um, it, it was all subtle and beautiful. Well, he, I think the genius of Peter Lindbergh was just the fact that in, in, the, in the sense of he was photographing a lot of Hollywood, um, uh, Hollywood people, 
he would take them from that complete normative situation of always being sexualized or always being glamorized, always being shown to be without you know, without any flaws. And he kind of showed them in a more raw human sense. And just by doing something that was that simple, he stood out so much from what other people were doing. I mean, there's a million and one things you could break down with what's so amazing about his work, but that's what I've always loved is just the fact that it felt so connected to the actual subject. It felt like they were a person, not a performer. Yeah. I mean, what a, I mean, it would have been amazing to be on the other side of his camera. Not that yeah. I, I would ever want to be on the other side of a camera, but if I had to pick one, that would probably be it, you know? Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about your influences a little bit then, since we're in this kind of ballpark. Um, who, are, who are the photographers that you're currently most looking out for and enjoying their work? Um, let's see. You know, it's, I've been really, rather than individual photographers, I've been kind of stalking hashtags and bodies of work and, and the way people are associating themselves with particular hashtags on Instagram. Mm. And I, I really, uh, new topographics, of course, is kind of like the primary one for me. Um, you know, I'm a fan of Robert Adams, uh, and a lot of the new topographists, if you can say that. Um, <laughs> and a lot of the British photographers that are, that use the tag new topographics are, are, fascinating i mean i know there's like this drive to for brits to come to the west and photograph it um i'm kind of pulled in the other direction <laughs> i want i want to go to the uk and like lurk around all the docks and gloomy areas <laughs> on the coast that's not something you want to say when you're entering the country don't say you want to be lurking around the docks <laughs> no, i guess not no that's but you know what i mean <laughs> I'll, I'll bring a pretty camera <laughs> But isn't that isn't that like the constant sort of battle with photography and with people in general is that we always think that over there is better than where we are? Oh, the grass is greener. Sure. Um, which brings me back to like the Soto project that I've been working on. Um, one thing I've always like w one of my biggest mistakes as a photographer is just kind of going on to the next thing too quickly. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of committed to going to this one part of town and photographing it once a week. Uh, and it's been rewarding. Uh, I've never pursued one area for this many months in a row, um, ever. And, uh, so the grass is pretty green on my side of the fence too. Sometimes too green clearly, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I summer, I can't, I, 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 yeah, it's summer. So I'm just, we're, it kind of closes up on you here. This, you can't see the houses, the trees get covered, you know, the trees are covering the homes and, um, yeah, green. But anyway, I mean, you've mentioned returning to the same one place and sort of re-photographing it. How do you pick that one place? This place in particular, but for this particular project, I started off actually by writing about it uh, before photographing it. Um, I've been attracted to it since we moved to Seattle and it's going to be a little redundant, but it's, you know, it's very treeless. Um, it's, it's got vast amounts of light and, uh, it's very industrial and, and it's old and new. So the color palette's really fun. Uh, there's faded buildings, there's brand new buildings. There's this kind of like mix between uh, true industry and craft brewers. It's just, it's a really interesting area. The guy kind of lost the drift of your question there. Sorry. How did you go about picking that one spot? Like what was it that made you really hone in on that one spot? So yeah, I started writing about it. Um, and why I was attracted to it. And as a, as a kid, 
Um, I don't know if you, if you were a skater at all as a kid. Um, but I was a skateboarder and, uh, and that's where we lived was in these industrial spots, uh, loading right. docks. Um, and just, that's where we played. That's where we partied. Um, uh, it's what we did. You know, we, as soon as we had a chance, we would escape to these areas. And I found myself kind of nostalgically attracted to that part of my life again. And I really always have photographed these places, but in particular, I started making that connection with that part, that time in my life. Uh, and it feels good to explore those with like a more mature eye. And, uh, it just kind of has all the right elements for me. So it's close by, um, which makes it practical. Soto, um, I have a, we have a small business and it keeps me in Soto once or twice a week, no matter what. Uh, so I keep a rolly or a Hasselblad in the car and stop and, and try to shoot some film, no matter what the weather is or, you know, what the results might be. Is there ever the danger that you're going to kind of keep retreading old ground and maybe taking the same picture over and over again, just trying to improve on that individual picture? Or is that the challenge is to kind of force yourself to not do that? Well, it's, it's funny because I've actually tried to go back and take the same picture because I didn't like the results and try to improve on it. I, you can't do it. Um, right. It's never the same. It's just impossible. The light's different. You're standing different. You just you're in a different mood. Um, there's, you know, and things get torn down and rebuilt. Um, it's crazy. So I thought that was going to be the case. Um, but it's, I, I haven't made the same picture twice, although it's become kind of recognizable for me, um, in my work that I, I do see the same place over and over again and some of the same themes, but I like that because it's kind of a consistency that I, I think I've lacked in the past. So I'm, I'm enjoying that right now. I've noticed um, sort of through the podcast and self-analysis where, you know, you talk to so many people from so many different walks of life and at so many different parts of their, or so many different um, distance into their photographic journey. I had a weird bias about non-people-based photography, which was that I felt like if you had images that didn't involve people in some way, that there wasn't an emotional connection that the people were taking aesthetic images, but they weren't necessarily um, meant to bring out any kind of emotional reaction is, you know, you mentioned earlier about looking for narrative, but are you ever looking for an emotional reaction with your work? Uh, yes, absolutely. And then I, it's, I mean, it sounds strange if you, if you think about the work that I'm doing, but um, uh, for me anyway, when I, the images that I, I choose, they have an emotional content for me. And that's why they kind of rise above the rest. Um, and I can't put my finger on exactly what that emotion is or point to it. Um, but it is like what I call a visual haiku. You know, it's just this kind of um, one thought with three parts. Um, and it, it does kind of, for me, rise to the level of, of a very subtle um, kind of... Uh, emotion that's kind of akin to like, uh, maybe like a harmonic resonance or something like that. Um, it, so I, I don't feel that, do I see it in other people's work, the lack of emotion? Yeah. Sometimes there's some, uh, people that are just relentlessly documenting their city and they, they post under the, you know, the tag new topographics and some other places. And I, I enjoy the document, but I would like to see some more juice, more juice in right. the images. Um, just a little, like it's got to have that, that humanity, like a little litter, some garbage, but, um, you know, uh, 
if, if you, if it's a car, you know, that does the car tell a story? Um, yeah, it's and, and all of those things on, on the flip side, I've, I've got another Instagram account called Seattle street photo, um, which is completely different. Um, it's all very Gary Winogrand inspired, very close up black and white street photography. That's very much full of emotion. And, uh, I, you know, so I get my fill personally doing that work too. Is it a case of you offsetting concrete spaces with that? Is it, does one alleviate the stress of the other or is it just two completely different genres that you just enjoy? Two completely different genres that I enjoy. And I, I try to compartmentalize them. Um, you know, one's in color, uh, almost exclusively, uh, one's in black and white. Um, and, and concrete spaces actually kind of rose out of doing the street photography again. Um, in that I, I saw this part where it wasn't street photography anymore in that work. And it was, um, and I started pursuing those images more. And so I tried to compartmentalize the two. So I started concrete spaces. So it would be kind of unobstructed, uh, by street photography. With, with regards to your process shooting, um, obviously you've kind of already alluded to it, but are you someone that attacks the same subject from a few different angles or do you, do you size it up visually before you take the first frame and the first frame ends up being the only one? Uh, f- with the film camera, I'm really conscious of the fact that it costs like two bucks every time I click the shutter. Right. So I, I really try to walk around it and study it, um, and revisit it. Sometimes I'm, I go to something two or three times before I take the picture, um, in different kinds of light. Uh, and that's something that didn't happen digitally at all. I would just take it and then try to force it to work, you know, in Lightroom or Photoshop. Um, so with a film camera, I, I, I definitely case the joint, you know what I mean? Like I walk around it, uh, revisit it. I'll take a picture one or two frames. Sometimes I'll do three angles or if I'm really responding to it, but it's not talking to me yet. Um, I, I may turn around. This is going to sound really weird. Um, I may turn around and photograph what's exactly in the opposite direction. Right. Which is weirdly rewarding uh, because a lot of times you're attracted to something, but it's, it's not exactly what you were looking at. You just didn't know it. No, you're, no, that's a hundred percent a really good point because I um, was it was pointed out to me by my wife uh, quite a while ago. Bizarre, I look as a human being. So I photograph weddings, <laughs> and when we are walking through like any part of the wedding, I tend to kind of walk while spinning because I'm always yeah. looking for the thing that you're missing. Because if you're only looking forwards, you're not going to see what's behind you. And she yeah. did um, happily point out how ridiculous I looked, but. Um, it's good to hear that someone else has a similar method of just wanting to see things beyond just the first way that you're, you're kind of approaching it. Yeah. You know, there's a funny quote about Gary Winogrand dancing, um, when he's photographing and I, yeah, it's, it's definitely the dance, you know, you're like, you're, you're kind of weaving and bobbing and looking, um, even with a big giant film camera, because you have to put your eye where the lens is. Um, and if, and it, it's, it's fun. I don't know what else to say about it. You know, it just, and I'm always startled about what I'm not seeing and what I am seeing. Um, and, uh, I, I try not to let the, the big neon gas station be the thing that I photograph. Although I've, I've done that. 
because <laughs> sometimes it's just cool. I've never, never turned down a good cliche, man. Just do it. <laughs> Joe, that's, that's pretty much the perfect segue into my next question, which is, do you have any particular photo cliches that you're really not a fan of? Uh, well, duck lips. Um, yeah i'm with you there i'm 100 yeah, with you there. No, the, um i uh there's a you know just talk about hashtags but there's a, a hashtag called ruin porn you know where people are just going in and photographing the most ruinous sites like going right. to a chernobyl and doing interiors and stuff like that um i like some of the photography but it I, it just kind of uh, it, it overwhelms me because it's just so peely painty, you know, there's no, uh, getting back to that kind of timestamp. There's, there's no reference to now in, in a lot of that right. imagery. Um, and I don't know if it's a cliche, it's hard to call it a cliche because people do a really good job of it. Um, but without the timestamp, um, it doesn't interest me. Um, I do trying to think of there's that, you know, there's a bunch, man. I could probably go on endlessly. Um, but I kind of enjoy the fact that people are taking pictures too. If, if we're yeah. just talking about Instagram, um, I, there's not much of Instagram that I don't like because it's just, it's all free. You know, it's just, it's better than television. People are choosing to take pictures of stuff and show them to you. Uh, and you can choose to look at them or subscribe to them or not. Um, uh, I've heard you mention in your podcast about curating your feed. I'm a huge fan of that. Right. And so what I see on Instagram are mostly things that I want to be inspired by, or, or I may find uh, inspirational or just so different than what I do. Um, there, it's just fun to watch, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the, the cliches I, I always, I'm, I'm self-aware of, you know, clearly it's the gas stations at night, love them to <laughs> death. Um, Everyone is good, but man, I just got to stop taking that picture. <laughs> the Cinestill 800T picture. Yeah. Yeah. Trucks in people's backyard, abandoned trucks in the woods. Love them to death. I just, I just shot one over the weekend of this old yellow Ford in someone's backyard. And uh, um, I got caught in their backyard taking the photograph. And we ended up like hanging out for an hour and, and chatting. And love it. Love the experience. Love the truck. Probably post the picture. Um, but it is one of those cliches that I try to uh, at least be aware of when I'm doing it. But I don't want to kind of instill any fear in you because obviously there's a huge trust issue in putting your voice onto a recording for a podcast, but you have talked about yeah. lurking at docks and getting caught in people's back gardens at this point. So <laughs> there is definitely the latitude here for me to edit this in a way that comes across really bad. Sure. I'll, maybe I should avoid that. <laughs> well, but the camera kind of gives you permission to look, you know, and, and, look at the world around you. I'm not talking about through people's windows, you know, it's, but to walk into a, a, a parking lot or, or a building that you might not otherwise walk into, but you're going in there because you have a camera. Um, it, it, I, I don't, not that it's a outright writ of permission, but um, it does sort of encourage me at least to kind of poke around. Yeah. I'm going back to what you were just saying about sort of curating um, Instagram feeds and, one of the things that I've always said is if you want to get better at, you know, being a musician, you know, being a photographer, whatever it is, if you want to improve at something that's creative, what you need to do is you need to make sure that you are consuming a lot of stuff that 
actually inspires you. And one of the first steps on that before you even have the opportunity to curate your Instagram feed is just that ability to develop a taste for what what inspires you in the first place. So you have to sort of expose yourself to a lot of different art in a sense and work out what you don't like and what you do like. And a lot of the damage I think being done by Instagram, and I agree with you in most cases, it's obviously a a very wonderful thing because it gives you access to so much stuff. But I think one of the downsides is, is that people have sort of lost the ability to decide whether they like something and they're more focused on whether or not it's universally liked by the the number that's written underneath it by the total number of people that have liked or commented people tend to associate feedback generally with what they should or shouldn't do and I, I, that's the one downside i would say is i wish people could get past the numbers and just actually be a bit honest with themselves emotionally and intellectually and just enjoy art for what it is and not worry about sort of feeding um, into sort of a trendy zeitgeist, I guess. I agree 95%. Um, I, I think there's, I, uh, at least, and this is, if you, if you kind of stay within, I'm going to, see if I don't dig a hole here with this one, but, um, <laughs> um, one of the reasons I, I like film and Instagram is that people are a little bit more careful about what they're doing and more curated. I think in general, I mean, there's people just shooting film because it's film, um, and not beyond that, but it seems like that community, uh, is pretty selective with their likes. Um, and right. if, if you're, uh, and so I, I found them to be pretty good editors too. Um, if I, if something really for me does well, and I'm, I'm not like a huge photo, you know, Instagram photographer, but if something hits 500 likes for me, I really do look at it and I'm like, wow, that's, uh, um, that's pushing people's buttons. Why? Um, I can't help that dialogue. Uh, and oftentimes, um, it's it, it's an avenue worth revisiting at least, uh, just because I trust that community a lot. And they are they're pretty selective and and sometimes very critical um, about what they like and don't. Um, they're just I don't get the feeling that the film community there is just kind of blindly liking stuff. Um, and if if I get more followers because uh, I don't have a tremendous amount, that I guess that might change, and I have to be a little bit more. Uh, leery of of going down that path, but for now, I, I kind of you know I, I'm I'm all for letting them kind of edit and push me in particular directions. It's fun. I mean that 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 is you really dug a hole there. I don't feel like we can recover from that. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I was talking about this literally two days ago about how you have to be so different with the way that you approach um, as as a an English man the way that you approach people from the United States with sarcasm because there are certain states in America that just do not understand the dryness of British humor. And there's times where I've said stuff and I've been over in America, particularly I find like California, New York. And I I found bizarrely, uh, I went to DC back in January and I definitely noticed that there were situations where I'm, you know, just trying to be remotely funny, which I'm definitely not. And the the speed at which people were getting offended at, at a dry comment. So it's nice to hear that Seattle is somewhere that appreciates a tiny amount of sarcasm. Um, let's go back to you being a little bit self-analytical. Let's, let's make you analyze yourself a little bit here. Sure. How fun. <laughs> um, 
what what do you find is your biggest weakness as a photographer in terms of the process not necessarily the end product but what do you what do you kind of struggle with when you're actually out shooting um yeah well you know rabbit holes um you know cliches going down those paths that are like ultimately unproductive even though you know you're doing it um the biggest problem I had up until I switched cameras to film was getting the new camera every six months or eight months or nine months and kind of just being fascinated with the equipment. I thought it was long over that stage, but I just have complete equipment lust when it comes to uh, gear. Um, I did digitally uh, and I'm, glad that's kind of passed is something about the film cameras. It just buries that wholeheartedly. Um, and I, you know, it's, I, I, I try not to be overly conscious of, of my flaws because they're easily deleted on the hard drive when you're done. Um, the, Let's talk a, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I was just, I'm sorry. I kind of lost in the train of thought on that one. The, um, what are my flaws? Yeah. Well, they're, they're endless. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? That's the thing with people. When you, when, when they self-analyze, they tend to go one of two ways. They either think that their farts smell like cinnamon rolls and they're incapable of doing anything wrong, or they don't believe they're capable of getting anything right. So I find self-analysis is a really difficult subject for people to touch on and makes for quite an interesting podcast subject. I, I think it's a great subject. It's kind of hard. I guess what I was trying to do is, is figure out about it, like in a specific point in time. Um, am I ever like self analytical? And, and the answer is no, but man, I can tell you that like I edit at night and I think I'm a genius and then I'll post it and I'll wake <laughs> up in the morning. and I just delete that son of a bitch as fast as I see it. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> what was I doing? What was I thinking? Um, and, and sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong, but you know, it's just like, you know, you, you can just get like, you can go down these rabbit holes, like, you know, start like, wow, I really want saturated red on everything in my life. And, uh, you know, you wake up in the morning, you realize you, you've posted this and you thought it was brilliant and it's just horrific. Yeah. I always have that with skin tone when I'm, when I, cause obviously my, my main thing is photographing people and I'll post something at 10 o'clock at night and I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be like, why is she purple? Why did I think purple would look good? Yeah. I, I, um, commercially I do fashion photography. Um, and yeah, so I get you skin tones are just, are, are tough, tough, especially. You almost have to have like three, three separate looks at something with time in between to be able to a hundred percent trust yourself that you've not like smurfed someone or made them look like they've got jaundice. Yeah. Oh, it completely. Luckily, like I do mostly product photography on figure. Um, and so color correction comes first, uh, and then skin tones comes, you know, after the product. Uh, as opposed to portrait, but you know, yeah, it's, it's a real fine line in fashion photography, uh, jaundiced and, and natural. <laughs> you can cross it real quickly. <laughs> well, I feel like that should be a set of filmic look presets that I could put out where it's like jaundice, smurf, hypothermia, hypothermia too. <laughs> a little heavy on the cyan. Yeah. All right. So this is the most terrifying question for British people. And it, I think it's one that Americans can cope with a lot better. We'll give it a go. We've talked about what you think your biggest weaknesses are. What do you think your biggest strength is as a photographer? 
Um, I am wholeheartedly a photographer. You know, I, I never doubt that uh, when I'm making images and when I stop, you know, we, we're entrepreneurs. We have a small business. That's how we put the butter on our bread. Um, and that's where I do the fashion photography. Um, but I never say that I'm an entrepreneur. When somebody asks me what I do, I'm a photographer. And, uh, when I came out of that dark room as a kid in Italy, and I got that first bit of praise that I should be a photographer, it just locked it in. Um, I can't stop taking pictures. So I think that's my biggest strength strength is doggedly. I'm just without doubt that, you know, I'm a photographer. I never think I'm a fraud. Um, sometimes I think I'm a really bad photographer, (laughs) (laughs) but I I never have any doubt as to why I have a camera with me or, or why I'm jonesing for a new lens or something like that. Yeah. So that's probably my biggest strength is consistently. I, I just keep taking pictures. Well, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away from where you are now is someone that definitely doesn't think you're a bad photographer by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, to prove my point, I need you to tell everyone where they can go and see your work and prove me correct. So what are all of your websites and links and Instagrams and whatnot? Okay. So um, yeah, no websites, uh, just Instagram is kind of where I'm, is my playground right now. Uh, Concrete Spaces uh, is my primary focus um, in photography right now. Um, I've got a, a street photography site called Seattle Street Photo um, that I'm just opening up to kind of showcase other people's work too. Um, it doesn't, uh, I'd like to see more, you know, involvement in the street photography community in Seattle. So I'm just kind of egging that one on with Seattle Street Photo. Um, and then commercially, it's a PircoSeattle.com um, or Pirco.com. That's P-I-R-K-K-O. And that's our business. And, and Pirco Seattle is the Instagram handle for that. Well, it's been amazing to talk to you. It's been uh, very funny. It's been great to find out that Seattle people enjoy some sarcasm. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I look forward to seeing you one day if you visit. I'll give you a tour of Soto. Mm-hmm.